Right, thank you. Now, I'm going to say something terrible straight away. I don't mind if you use phones. If anyone's talking and chatting and looking at Facebook, I'll be annoyed. But if you want to put photos on and take photos, I'm more than happy with that. There's no talking on your phone. So, my name's Ben. And for the adults out there, I'm an evolutionary biologist. I work at Anglia Ruskin, just across the road, uh, where I'm a teaching fellow. If I give you a dinosaur, will that keep you quiet? I've got enough for five more noisy children or adults, so. <laughs> I'm an evolutionary biologist and teach at Anglia Ruskin, uh, you're not getting two, um, <laughs> across the road. I also work for the BBC Natural History Unit over in Bristol, where I'm involved with wildlife documentaries and science-based TV. Now, a couple of questions. Anyone like science here? It's really bright here, so I can't really see. Does anyone like science here? Yeah. Right, we'll warm you up. Does anyone like bones here? Yeah. And does anyone like science and bones and dinosaurs here? Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> Easiest talk I'll do all week. Um, <laughs> I love dinosaurs. I love bones. Anything that's to do with evolution or how things change, how they adapt and how they're quite special and unique in biology. And I'm going to give you a talk about all these things. Now, there are lots of young faces in the audience today. Do you all enjoy running around and jumping about? Yeah? yeah. When you're about this size, like my friend Amelie here, give a wave, Amelie. When Amelie starts to run, the force in her body makes her weigh four times the amount she already does. So it's as if four times the weight goes through her body. So my little brother, John, give everyone a wave. <laughs> Effectively, when Amelie starts to run like this, the force going through her body is the same as what someone four times her own size has. So our bones take a huge amount of force. Now, I've got lots of things that I enjoy that I probably shouldn't, but one of them is chocolate. I love chocolate. I could eat it all day long. And when you think about bones... People always think that these long, big, horrible, dead white things, that if you put any force on them, they snap. And if you imagine bones to be solid like this, then they would. I'll eat that one later. But when you think about bones next time, they're actually like nature's crunchy bars. So if you have a bone in your leg or your arms or even your skull, the next time you have a crunchy bar, have a look inside, and you can see all these little lumps and bumps and hollows and bubbles, and that's exactly what your bones are like. They're incredibly strong structures that are filled with holes and gas and blood vessels, and they're really, really strong. Now, when we start to run like this, if your bones didn't move, they would snap like twigs, like this first chocolate bar. But when you start to run around, they twist and they bend. When an adult runs, our leg bones, our big thigh bones here, our femurs, can actually bend a couple of millimeters. They're really, really flexible. They're really, really cool. So I said that when Amelie runs, her body acts as if it's four times heavier. Individual bones are incredibly strong. Has anyone got a dog like this at home? Yeah, a few of you. These are incredibly strong animals. So even something the size of a Labrador, if you take this one bone in its thigh, the femur, it can take a lot, a lot of force. We've tested these, and they can take over one and a half tons of force going onto one bone alone. If you imagine a car balanced on one bone in this poor dog's leg, it can take all that weight. They're incredibly strong structures. Now, we're going to look at some little things first of all. They're cute. Oh. <laughs> that was the adults then, I could hear you. <laughs> there are some tiny skeletons on Earth. This is probably what's the, uh, the smallest mammal. It's the bumblebee bat. Um, and it's, you can see it's the size of someone's fingertip. Absolutely tiny little thing. Even smaller is the uh, tiny little hummingbird. And it's, again, just the size of the tip of a pencil. And if you imagine in there, the whole skeleton is combined. It functions, it moves, it allows all this force to go through it. Tiny little things, but they get smaller. The world's smaller skeleton, I have just found out, belongs to a tiny little frog. And the next time you're asking mum and dad for 
for some money, from pocket money, and they show you a 1p. Don't be too disappointed, because the what you'll think next time is the smallest skeleton in the world is smaller than a 1p. It's a tiny little frog that lives in Asia, and when it's fully grown, it's less than seven millimeters long. It's the smallest vertebrate, so the smallest skeleton on Earth. But everyone's gone, yeah, it's all right, sort of fair enough. You're here to go, wow. So the small is okay, but we like big. <laughs> so every time you think about these animals, that's how big we are. This little tiny thing here. We're going the other end of the scale here. We're going massive. We want some big, really cool skeletons. The largest animal on Earth at the top there, the blue whale, it also has the largest bone on Earth. It's in its jaw. So we've got one jawbone here, but lots of animals have two bones that sort of sit together. And the blue whale has two bones in its jaw, and each one is the length of this stage. That's just one bone. It's the biggest bone on Earth at over 19 feet in length. Imagine having something like that that weighed nearly as much as a car in your mouth. That's a very, very big bone. So we're going to talk today about things like the blue whale, this thing at the top right, Predator X. Sounds cool, doesn't it? And this big thing with a long neck here, dinosaur, one of my favorite. Just to show you, there's someone in America next to a blue whale jaw. You can just see how big it is. It's that long bone right at the front there. Just to show you how big they are, that's a little person again next to a blue whale skeleton. I've done some TV in the last few years, and one day I was walking through London, through Paddington Station, and my phone rang. Ring, ring. Hello. It's the BBC. Oh, hello, BBC. You always sound very happy when you speak to the BBC. You have to. Hello. Uh, would you like to work on TV again, Ben? Oh, I'd love to, thank you. Uh, would you like to work on BBC One? Oh, that sounds great. It's with the biggest dinosaur ever discovered. Like, oh, wow, it doesn't get any better than this. And it's with David Attenborough. Who is this? <laughs> I'm too busy. I've got work to do. What? what? They said, no, we've... We've got a new project. Out in Argentina, so in South America, they found the bones of a huge animal, an absolute monster. And it's this that I'm mainly going to talk about today. And I was very lucky to be involved with this project um, all of last year uh, out in Argentina. And we filmed it and we worked with the scientists to uncover what has turned out to be an incredible discovery. Now, in East Anglia, there's lots of farmland. In Argentina, there's also lots of farmland, but that is beautiful farmland in Argentina. It's rocky, it's dry, it's not much there. And the story goes that a farmer and his wife had loads and loads of sheep, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sheep, and he'd lost a load. So he got on his horse and took his dog, and he lost them. He couldn't find these sheep. And he came around this corner, this big red rock, looking for these sheep, and his dog was stood on a little patch of rock that didn't look quite right. It was a tiny little cliff. And as he got closer, he realized that his dog was stood on a dinosaur's femur, this thigh bone here. In Argentina, loads of people know about dinosaurs. So straight away, this farmer phoned up his local museum. So imagine phoning the zoology museum on Downing Street here. That's what he did, the, the same sort of idea. He phoned up the local museum and said, oh, guys, I found a massive dinosaur. And the local museum said, oh, farmers, what do they know? He said, we'll, we'll have a look. So they went to have a look, and they got there, and they said, oh, it's incredible, it's massive. They phoned up the National Museum. The National Museum said, oh, local museums, what do they know? <laughs> they turned up and said, oh, my God, this is incredible, it's absolutely amazing. And the story got bigger and bigger. And you can see this is the site where the excavation was done. It was a lovely, gentle, rolling uh, cliff, and the whole thing was cut away over the point of the, uh, the time across a year just to get access to this thing. Now, this farmer's land, if you imagine everything from here to Ely was his land. It went for lots and lots of uh, miles every direction. There were no roads on here. So the museum had to build a road through this scrub and through this awful um, terrain 
to actually access this thing. And it took well over a year to take all the bones away. This is a little bone. This is tiny. Um, this is part of a rib, I think. Um, and some of the stuff was done using hammers and chisels. And if we have any paleontologists in the audience, you'll know that this is the tricks of the trade. These are the things that paleontologists often use. But when bones are this big, you have to use slightly uh, bigger and cooler techniques. Before long, the whole team of fossil hunting scientists arrives and starts work. proves to be 8 feet, 2.4 meters long. It's preserved in extraordinary detail, and detail will be critical to the forensic examination that will follow. Until recently, giant titanosaurs have only been known from a dozen bones. And our team have already found more than ten times as many. How cool is that? When Argentinosaurus was found a few years ago, it was said to be the largest dinosaur ever. And they found about 15, maybe 17, 18% of the whole skeleton. They found bits and bobs. When they found Dreadnoughtus a few years later, they found about 75% of the skeleton, and it was the biggest dinosaur ever. It's now gone slightly smaller again. When this team found this dinosaur, they found 233 bones from seven individuals in an area the size of two football pitches. So these... Uh, scientists can be incredibly sure that this is a big dinosaur. We'll come on to just how big it is in a moment. Now, if you're going to dig up a big dinosaur, kids, there is one thing you will need. It's lots of loo roll. If you take nothing away from today, that's the one rule I have. Every single bone was wrapped in wet loo roll. Sounds weird. Then it dries and sticks to the bone and actually protects them and then every bone is covered with plaster of Paris. Because even though these bones have been in the ground for 101 million years, such a long time, they're really delicate. So in this desert where we were, at night time, it was about minus 5 degrees. It was really cold. At the daytime, it was plus 35, nearly 40 degrees. So it changed every single day. And the more the team exposed these bones, they would fracture, they would break, they would crumble. They were really delicate. So we needed to make sure they were really safely protected. So lots of loo roll. The bones were then in their loo roll cases. They were lifted up, put on the back of these big trucks, and they were taken five hours back to the local museum where the uh, team then worked on them. And this is when the real work started. Now, this is incredible. If there are any paleontologists here, you'll be going, oh, my God, that's massive. That's one vertebrae. That's one little bone out of the animal's back. So when you touch the nobbles in your back, kids, that's just one of these little knobbly bits in your backbone uh, structure. You can see the side is here. The big central disc is in the middle, and it goes up to the top where you can feel this knobble on your back. Now, you can just get some sort of idea of just how big this thing is. He's actually standing on another part of the bone, uh, part of the skeleton down there. This thing is huge. Mistakes happen. 
I know as a scientist, we should never admit that. Nothing ever goes wrong. We had a wonderful and terrible moment when we were lifting one of these vertebrae up. And again, this is another backbone of the vertebrae here. We were lifting the whole thing up. And the BBC team were like, great, we'll film this. This is wonderful, brilliant, yeah, great. As we lifted it up, the whole thing fell to bits and crumbled on itself. It's 101 million years broken. You imagine dropping one of your mum or dad's ornaments at home, kids. It was like that, but much scarier. When it broke, the scientists looked devastated. And without pausing, the producer went, what about that one? We then lifted another one up. Uh, <laughs> um, luckily, we didn't break any more. That was our only uh, dodgy experience. But the team we worked with, this guy here with the orange shirt, the two around him, were Hollywood uh, movie set makers. They made all the models for the original two Jurassic Park films. They're now dinosaur model-making experts. We had Hollywood experts in. We had paleontologists. We had the wonderful David Attenborough at the top. We had so many different people involved with this incredible project, which really brought the science to life, and that's a really nice part of the story as well. Now, when every bone was taken back to the museum, and you can see them all in the background there, they were so delicate that every single bone had to be copied. And some were quite easy. Does anyone know what this bone is? Shout it out. Scapula? Yes, thank you. Scapula. Uh, the shoulder blade. Your little shoulder blade here, that's his shoulder blade. Again, it was more than two meters long. It was taller than me, this bone. Very, very big. So this scapula here was quite easy to uh, copy. They make a resin cast, and like you do with the animal's footprint, and cast the whole thing. That was quite simple. Others, we 3D scanned. and Every single bone was scanned digitally with a special scanner, and then all the information was sent to Canada where this team worked. Now, again, just to show you how big some of these things were, <laughs> and if you think I look silly, I wasn't the only one who wanted to... <laughs> oh, no, my, what's happened? Come on, little computer, you'll be all right. He was no better. <laughs> Biggest kid I've ever worked with. So we know for a fact, we can say scientifically, that this femur was at least one and a half Attenboroughs long. <laughs> it's a new international unit of measurement. Once every bone was scanned, everything was digitally copied, it's much easier for the team to work with the digital stuff, the digital data. Do you imagine trying to m measure that bone and then try to send it to Canada or to Germany or wherever, wherever who's doing the work on it? It's easier to make a digital copy. So everything was scanned, and you get things like this. This is the front leg. You can see the scapula, the shoulder. You can see the humerus, same as ours, the radius, the ulna. Then you've got these little whoop, toes here. Because it weighs so much, it's lost its fingertips, and it just walks on its knuckles. The other bones have disappeared. It's just too much weight. Once the whole thing was copied... <laughs> If you were to stand next to it, adults, you would come just above its foot. It is huge. Now, Dippy, the Diplodocus in the Natural History Museum in London, is just over 25 metres long. So the exit sign at the back to here is approximately the length of Dippy in the NHM. Our monster here was from here to the exit sign and then back to about here somewhere. It was a huge animal absolute monster. Probably longer than most blue whales, and this thing was terrestrial, so it walked on land. And it had very special adaptations. You can see at the front, got these big, flat feet for stomping around and taking all that extra weight. But like us, all the power comes from the bum. So they need, don't laugh, they need extra muscles around the back. And because of that, they're much more springy. So they walk on their tiptoes. And there's another animal that does this. Anyone know another big animal that walks on its tiptoes with a big fatty pad? Elephant. An elephant, yes. So like elephants, these things walked on their tiptoes. They had a fatty pad the size of a basketball underneath their heel, and they walked right on their tiptoes. Incredibly big animal. Once the uh, whole thing was made... We can really look at how this animal lived. used to make the skeleton has also been used to create a computer model. 
It means I can get a preview of what the final skeleton will look like. The first thing is Pluton's very, very lovely legs, if you turn it around. They're very, very column-like. Now, this is like elephants, but interestingly, this titanosaur had slightly splayed legs at an angle, about five degrees, and this slight change would have really increased the ability to take all that extra weight. Can you see the splay because of the joint or because of the shape of the bone? A bit of both. So you can tell from the shape of the bone and from where certain parts of the bones form and how they sit, and then how the bones fit with one another. You can really tell how it would have sat in real life. Another thing you can see is very, very long neck. And we've just found out that ours had 15 bones in its neck. Interestingly, some of them were five or six times longer than they were wide. These incredibly long vertebrae, and there's lots of them. Why does it have such a long tail? Well, a couple of reasons. If you've got an animal this big with a neck this long, the last thing you want to be is top-heavy. And again, research has just shown that the centre of gravity in this animal was somewhere right in the middle of the chest cavity. So the heavy tail counterbalances the exceedingly long neck. But judging from the size of the muscle attachments, the tail was also immensely strong. You would have had huge muscles from around here, right down, it's about a third of the way down the tail, somewhere around here. So that would be solid flesh? Yeah, muscle, tissue, other tissue, mm. ligaments, tendons. Do you think they might have fought with it? Possibly. Flashing it about? It could have been used as, as a defence mechanism. So you're walking up to that as a predator, the last thing you want to be on the receiving end of... Don't put me into it. <laughs> <laughs> As we were saying there, once you've got this wonderful model made, you can look at the behavior. You can see how this series of bones used to walk. And the tail was so big, and they had such particular attachments. Can you imagine that's my tail? Great with props. The muscles from the leg and bum down to the tail went halfway down. And as the tail would wobble, it would pull this leg back. Then it would pull this leg back. So it's actually its tail was pushing its legs forward. It was so big, it had trouble pushing its own legs of its own weight. That's how big this animal was. But we didn't stop at skeletons. We actually re tried to rebuild the whole animal digitally. So we wanted to see how big its heart was. We wanted to see what its blood vessels were like. So we had a 3D digital um, animation made. And we could look at things like the lungs. Now, when you breathe, your chest opens up. You can feel your chest under here. It goes again. I can hear everyone breathing now, it's great. <laughs> You're all doing a really good job at breathing right now, guys. Um, dinosaurs didn't breathe like this. They had a static chest, we think, a little bit like birds. So they would breathe in, but the lungs wouldn't really expand like ours do. Instead, they had special sacs all down their body and even some of their bones. So dinosaurs often used to breathe with their bones, like birds do. And like this crunchy bar we looked at earlier, some of the holes in the bones are filled with special sacs that allow gas to exchange and allow the animal to actually breathe. So these things were so well adapted, even their bones could help them live to, to, to breathe and things. Absolutely incredible. Now, I'm quite gross. I'll admit that. If you imagine you made a human tablecloth, you got your skin and you stretched out a nice square, you'd have about two meters by two meters. And if you looked at your aorta, your little uh, blood vessel, your main blood vessel in your body, in your heart, it'll be about four centimeters across. If you did the same thing with a, what have I got, a blue whale, you'd have 300 square, a 360 square meter tablecloth, much bigger than this room. But their aorta is only about 30 centimeters uh, across. So we couldn't even really figure out just how big their uh, aorta was, but we think it's somewhere about 20 centimeters. So their blood vessels are about this big, we think. So there's lots and lots of uh, very strong uh, musculature movements in their, in, their, in their bodies. A giant animal like an elephant also needs a huge heart to pump blood around its body. And so did our titanosaur.
must have been immense. From our new detailed knowledge of the skeleton, John Hutchinson has calculated that it was more than six feet in circumference. It probably weighed 230 kilos and would have had to shift 90 liters of blood with a single beat. There's one. And it would have had to repeat that beat every five seconds. There it goes again. Weighing more than three grown men, it would have been extraordinarily powerful. And in order to pump blood around the body at high pressure, and then into the delicate lungs at a lower pressure, it's thought that our Titanosaur's heart had four chambers, more like that of a bird than a reptile. So a powerful heart pumped the blood to the extremities of the body, but how did the blood get back? As in an elephant, a combination of fatty foot pads and tight skin are thought to have forced the blood from its legs all the way back to its heart. Play into a secret. There wasn't really a dinosaur in front of David. <laughs> Hate to break that to you. There was this wonderful balloon on the end of a piece of string that was just in front of him, and all that was him just imagining there was a dinosaur there. It was great. Um, basically, we've got this thing that was walking on its big fatty pads, it's on its tiptoes, and it's got really tight socks all of its legs, sort of. It had really, really tight skin on the inside of its thighs to really force all this blood back. So again, all these soft tissue adaptations we can start to look at because of the bones. But if something is twice the length of this room when it's an adult, it must be a massive baby. So even elephants, when they're born, are about this sort of size. Not quite. This is how big they started. This is a cast of a small titanosaur egg. So not quite as big as our guy. Ours would have been a little bit bigger than this. But something that was that big started out just this size absolutely tiny. And the mothers used to scrape a hole in the ground, squat down a little bit, we think, we assume, and would drop about 10, maybe 15 of these little eggs into a shallow depression. Once they, grew, once they hatched, they would have to grow really, really quickly. And we think it took about 15 years to go from this size to twice the length of this room. So really quick growth. And all they were eating were really tough pieces of vegetation, so things like ferns, horsetails, monkey puzzle trees, do you all know what they are? Yeah, the really tall trees with the spiky leaves at the top, they were the main types of food for our titanosaur. So just eating things like that, they grew massively in just 15 years. We think they had a skip full of food every single day. Imagine that, when your mum or dad says, eat your greens, it's bad enough when it's a plate full. You imagine a skip full of greens every day. And the worst thing, it probably took about two weeks, we think, to digest. What we do think is that it probably smelt really bad when it came out the other side. It was there so long. So these things were eating lots and lots of vegetation. But, like we say, we also have these wonderful egg sites where we know that our titanosaurs came from. And we found one nearby. We found four distinct layers, and this is what it would have been like. So these mothers across the, the history would have dug tiny little holes with their legs, laid these eggs, and they would eventually have hatched. And I think my last video is just to show you what we thought a baby would look like. There are many other remarkable things in these astonishing time capsules. This one has got perfectly clearly the limb bones. Here is a skull, that's the orbit of the eye. There's the lower jaw, there's the snout. 
This one also has a, a skull, but on the tip of the snout, you can see a little spike, which is like the egg tooth that a bird embryo has to help it crack itself out of a shell. And here is a replica of what the complete uncrushed shell must have looked like. With all these details, it's possible to imagine how a baby titanosaur entered the world. To get an idea of how these youngsters might have lived, we can compare them with their closest living relatives, birds. Oh, you can do it now. Baby dinosaurs, they're cute. <laughs> At the end of this project, we were speaking, speaking with the scientists, and we said, right, you've got all these bones. You, uh, you've got lots of bones now. You can tell what this animal looked like, how big it was, what it ate, um, where it lived, how it was uh, born, how it hatched. What's the final verdict? First of all, we had this made, this model, and if you can't see how big it is, those sparks there are from a guy my size, and he stood down there somewhere. That's how big this animal is. It would have filled this room. Its bum would have been as high as this ceiling. When it lifted its head up, it could have reached five stories high. So higher than any church in, in uh, Cambridge, probably as high as one of the, the big, big colleges right at the top. Um, the main one on the strip. It's absolutely massive. Uh, <laughs> so I live in Bristol, that's all right. Uh, <laughs> Kings, that's the one. If anyone's from Kings, I'm so sorry. Uh, it could probably have reached the top of King's, uh, King's Chapel. Absolutely monstrous animal. Um, oh, I get to that bit. But, so we said, right, what's the conclusion with this animal? They said, we think, we're when they say we think, we're 90% sure this is the biggest dinosaur ever. It weighed in excess of 70 tons. So if you added 15 elephants together, big African elephants, it still weighed more than these. The really cool thing is, it wasn't finished growing. It still had room to grow. We looked at the histology, so the bones under a microscope, and there were still growth plates that were, seemed as if they were uh, capable of going a little bit more. So there was potential for this thing to get even bigger, and we've got no idea how much bigger. Now, like I said, this thing was new to science, absolutely brand new to science. I can't tell you what it's called yet because the name's not been published, but it's a really cool name when it comes out. This is the biggest dinosaur ever. I'm going to say that now if you're recording that. This is bigger than uh, Argentinosaurus, than Dreadnoughtus, than Puertosaurus, and all the others out there. This is the monster. This is the big one. But the cool thing is, we found seven. We found seven in the same area. That's pretty cool. But those seven were from different stages in history. So there were at least a couple of thousand years between some of these animals. We have no idea why they come to the exact same spot and died. So this cool science story suddenly turned into history's biggest mystery. What killed these dinosaurs? We had a few ideas. The first one was there was a massive flood every so often, and they washed down a riverbed. No. Because if you do that as a skeleton, all your bones end up everywhere. Your skull's over there, your hand's over there, your leg's over there. So because these things were in the same place and their bodies were intact, and the head was the right place and the tail was in the right place, we knew that they weren't from a flood. We then looked at volcanic activity. Had a volcano killed them? And there was a tiny little bit of ash around one of the skeletons, but not enough to kill them. We did, however, find these things. Now, if you eat ferns and monkey puzzle trees, you do not need teeth like this. These were from a big predatory dinosaur. Has anybody heard of uh, Tyranotitan tubertensis? <laughs> I love that about half the kids' hands are going, the adults are going, have you? What? <laughs> well done, kids. Love it. Um, Tyranotitan tubertensis made T-Rex look like a wimp. T-Rex, nothing. This thing, 
This thing was the scariest dinosaur out there. Whereas T-Rex had big, thick, bone-crushing teeth, this thing had a mouth full of razor-sharp teeth that had serrations inside. They're from a group of dinosaurs called the shark-toothed dinosaurs. So like a great white shark with serrations, these teeth will cut you if you touch them. And they're so sharp, they can still do it nowadays. They're, they're beautifully well-preserved. We found 86 of these teeth embedded in some of our uh, titanosaur bones. So some of the bones had scratch marks in them and the tooth left next to them. Uh, some were buried underneath our, our dinosaurs, some were next to them, above them. So there were definitely some big predatory dinosaurs here. And these things were, again, at least the length of this stage with teeth like that. But we don't think they would take down this many animals in exactly the same place. Instead, as we're looking up at this thing, um, what we think happened is it was a really sad situation where this area was very, very dry. And these animals would walk for long distances. And if you're this big, you need lots of water. So we think they were looking for water and occasionally they'd find these really important watering holes. And like uh, elephants in Namibia and the really drier parts of Africa, they were dependent on these little watering holes all across their land. And every so often we think they would turn up to this one particular one that's dry. Imagine walking for hundreds of kilometers or hundreds of miles to get a drink of water and there's no water there. Sadly, we think this happened to these guys and that's why they died. Now, some of you cynical lot are going to go, where's the evidence? The sediment around these animals was incredibly fine, much finer than the surrounding area, where it looks as though you're getting drying patterns where the sediment does change uh, in pools. And a couple of kilometers away, there were several pools nowadays that had the same sort of thing going on. So we found dead armadillos, dead horses, uh, loads of dead things, dead sheep, all in these dried up pools. Um, and you've got this stratification, this layering of different skeletons. So we think they were just really thirsty and didn't make it. So that's my titanosaur, and I've got about six minutes left. And I think that's really cool. Are we in agreement? Do we think that's cool? Yeah. I think my microphone's not working or something. I'm, I'm sorry. I've, I've just told you about the biggest dinosaur in the world. Do we think that's cool? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> It's like Panto. Oh, no, it isn't. Right. Um, but I think we have some cooler things in the UK. So I'm working on a project at the moment over in Bristol where we've got one of these things. Have you seen Jurassic World, the new Jurassic Park film where this thing comes rushing out of the water and eats a great white? Which would never happen because it's CITES protected. You can't feed CITES animals or other things. Anyway. Um, but... These things were pliosaurs, the one in the film was a mosasaur. These aren't dinosaurs, these are prehistoric marine reptiles. Now, in 1993, a friend of mine was uh, looking for dinosaurs. He was an accountant, so he tried to supplement that with an exciting life. I'm sorry for accountants here. <laughs> yes, I said it. Um, he was looking in a cement quarry and found a dinosaur. He didn't just find, what, find, find a marine reptile. This thing was huge. It was over 10 meters long with a skull that was two meters long. The teeth were like that again. And if you've been to Swindon, anyone been to Swindon? Not as many people instantly put their hands up there. <laughs> this was found just near Swindon. If you went back 140 million years ago, these 10 or 11 meter prehistoric reptiles that could easily crunch T-Rex in half were found in Swindon. Think of that next time we were on the M4. So we've got this skull we're looking at now, and it's taller than me. And the teeth, like I say, are this sort of big, monstrous teeth. We're obviously here, up here somewhere, Cambridge. I live over here most of the time, and this thing was found in the middle somewhere. And if you went back 140 million years ago, all the white stuff there was shallow, tropical, sort of Mediterranean-ish water. The only land was those little green bits. So our prehistoric sea dragon was swimming around... Uh, the middle of, of this area, 140 million years ago. We had a model maker rebuild the skull, um, and that skull is easily longer than that table and bigger than that table. It's huge. What does it look like? Does it remind anyone of another animal? Yep. It looks like a crocodile. It looks just like a croc, so much that it made me think it looked like a crocodile. And it looks just like it. You can imagine this thing 
going around ripping things to shreds and eating poor little dinosaurs and scaring, scaring sharks off? No. We had a good look in their stomachs, and even the one we found, and we found squid beaks and nautiloids and uh, ammonites, belemnites, and you always find the beaks of these things where their stomachs were. I think there's only maybe one or two cases where you find dinosaur remains. And what we think is that this huge, scary uh, pliosaur that used to live all of, uh, across this part of the world used to have the same sort of behavior as these things. Anyone know what this is? Sperm whale. Thank you, yes. You'll get a toy later. Um, yes, this is a sperm whale. So these things are going through the oceans, big old uh, breaking teeth to, to fracture and uh, grasp things. And we think that our pliosaur um, did the same sort of behavior. We think they were feeding on cephalopods, going through the waters, and taking these big nautiloids, these big ammonites, the ones that you find on the uh, south coast, about this big. Sometimes they were this sort of size, massive squid-like, octopus-like things in big shells. Now, there is a sad story here. This huge animal that was the length of this stage easily and looked like this, if you crossed a crocodile with a porpoise and then made it really angry, that's probably what you had. This big, terrorizing beast that for hundreds of years has been portrayed as the monster of the deep. It's just like squid. I mean, I like calamari. We've just got a, a seafood lover here. But the one we found in uh, Bristol that I'm working on now had some sort of disease. And all of her bones from her neck down were starting to fuse into each other. It doesn't look like osteoarthritis, but there's something weirdly that was fusing all her flippers together. It was fusing her shoulder to, her, to some of her vertebrae. Really sad story here. And at some point, something happened to her jaw that pushed her jaw aside and she started biting into her own skull and making extra tooth holes. So this poor old thing was swimming around the oceans or the seas, looking for some squid in lots of pain. So we're working on this now. We're looking at the diseases we can find uh, to see what was going on with our pliosaur 140 million years ago. And the reason I put this in at the end, because I gave this talk recently, and people were going, great, I'd love to go to Argentina or China or North Africa to see these cool prehistoric animals. They're in Britain. World's largest mammoth was found in Norfolk, West Runton Mammoth, a few years ago. Uh, there were dinosaurs, there are prehistoric animals, there are marine reptiles found all across the UK. It's a really good place for this sort of stuff. Now, that's pretty much my talk done. I've got another two or three minutes. Uh, we'll do some questions. The last thing I want to say is I asked you at the start, who likes science? Can we ask again, who likes science? Can we just test this, please? Uh, I, I I genuinely think it's broken. Who likes science? Good. And that's what we've tried to do today in this whole science festival. It's not just for people who work with science already. Science is all around you, and it's really, really important. I started loving science when I was about three years old and never stopped. And the really cool thing about science is you can bring a story to life. You can talk about the pliosaur. You can talk about the titanosaur. And you can have that same passion if you're three years old or 93 years old. So David, uh, David Attenborough, he was just as excited. He was on the floor looking at bones and playing around and enjoying that. It's really important, guys. Science is such an incredible topic, and it's really, really great. Whether you're a boy, girl, old, young, get involved. Right. Any questions? Am I asking questions, or are we... Okay. If you ask me first. Now, how many bones are in a titanosaur? How many bones are in a titanosaur? Well, we estimate that we have about, about 70% of the big one. So we think, we're not entirely sure, there are about 250, which doesn't sound too many. Do you know how many you have? 206. So an adult human has 206. You might have a few more because children, babies, have about 275, but they start to change. So we think our titanosaur had just a few more bones than us, but they're just much bigger. Up to you. Go for it. How big is... That's all right. How big is that thing? That's 10 meters long. So from where you are, it's about here somewhere. 
big, isn't it? There used to be a bigger one that lived in Svalbard, right towards where the Arctic is, and that was nearly, well, about 18 metres long. It's called Predator X. How big is the Titanosaur's heart? Well, the Titanosaur's heart, if you put a tape measure around the heart, it would be about six feet long, so taller than I am. And it weighed about three times more than I did. Every time its heart beat, one beat of the heart, 90 litres. So 90 big bottles of Coke would go, or fruit juice for the healthier amongst us, um, <laughs> would go through that heart every time. What is your favourite dinosaur? Titanosaur. Um, <laughs> my favourite is actually this thing, which isn't obviously isn't a dinosaur, but I, I've really become attached to this thing in the last couple of years, this big pliosaur. It's because they're local, it's because they're one of our animals, and I like that. What's yours? Probably the... I think it's Majungnosaurus, or something like that. It's all right. It's no titanosaur, but it's all right. <laughs> How many dinosaur digs have you been to? How many dinosaur digs have I been to? Only about five, but they're really good ones. <laughs> Quality, not quantity, isn't it? <laughs> What's your second favourite dinosaur? <laughs> my second favourite dinosaur definitely is the Titanosaur. <laughs> For the next question, my third is Tyrannotitan tubertensis. <laughs> How long is the Mosasaurus? How long is the Mosasaurus? Ah, now, Mosasaurus estimates range massively, and some people say they were up to 25, even 30 metres. Probably more conservatively, they were a maximum of about 20 metres, we think, so maybe twice the length of this thing here. The one in um, Jurassic World, it was never that big. Ever that big. Sorry. Usually where there's a big herbivore, there's a big... Um, carnivores. So, do you know where, when the Titanosaurus died, where, near the waterhole, do you know if you found any more big carnivores? Good question. Uh, what I didn't say is that just as I left, um, the dig had stopped, but just as they stopped, because you can keep going forever, and these poor guys wanted to, they found a fragment of a, uh, uh, one of the big predatory jaws next to that area. So, what they want to do is go back next year and the year after, but they haven't got the money. Um, to keep on digging to see what else is there. Because you're right, and you get this in places like uh, Arctic, and I go to the Arctic quite a lot, you often see big whales washed up, and you get polar bears living on them for two or three years, just eating, 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 and eventually the polar bears die in the area. So instantly, one big dead animal brings loads of other little animals in or predators in as well. So yeah, there would have been things dying in there, but we haven't found them all yet. How big did the biggest one live for? How long? How long? Well... Again, by looking at the growth rings in the bones, the team, and they've only just started working on this, they estimate probably no more than 100 years, but probably about the whole, like elephants, but the 70 to 100 year mark, they think. They're not entirely sure. Now, this uh, project they're working on will go on for years now. They're only just describing what it looked like. What they're going to do next is how it walked, how it ate, what it ate, how it was social, how it, uh, how it grew. So we'll know a lot more in the next couple of years. But they think maximum of 100 years. Have you ever thought that they, the Titanosaurus fought over the water, so they tried to kill each other and who, um, because there wasn't enough water for the Titanosaurus? Good question. The question is, uh, do I think there was a massive Titanosaur fight-off? Um, first rule about Dinosaur Fight Club, because there's no Dinosaur Fight Club. Um, <laughs> bit old for you, I'm sorry. Um, we looked at the bones to see if there was any large fracturing, to see whether they'd fallen or whether something had hit them or if there was any signs of fighting. There was no sign of, of, of big trauma on the bones. So if you had that, if you got 70 tons hitting each other, you're probably going to get fractures. And none of them showed any signs of fractures or pathology or anything weird or wonderful apart from these bite marks from Tyranotitan. But good question. How many dinosaurs are there in England? 
How many dinosaurs are there in England? First of all, whilst I think about that answer, I love the, what you're wearing today, um, <laughs> mini scientist. Um, there are lots, I don't know the exact number, there are lots. And the good thing is, there are is there the huge uh, diversity of types of dinosaurs. So you get the things that aren't strictly dinosaurs, like the marine reptiles, and you get ichthyosaurs, pliosaurs, and even these, there are several species. You also get things like sauropods. So up in Scotland, you had these big things that looked like Diplodocus. Up in Scotland, you had lots of different things. Even where I'm in Bristol now, there was something that looked like a, um, a velociraptor, sort of sized thing. So all across, there are things being found. But there's new things all the time. So there's a little girl called Daisy in the Isle of Wight who found a brand new species of pterodactyl about three years ago. There were two brothers in Cardiff last year who found a brand new predatory dinosaur. There are new things all the time. But there's a lots, there are lots of dinosaurs in the UK, but I don't know how many exactly. Yep. How big is that guy heart? This guy's? Yeah. Oh, um... Um, we know that our dinosaur had a bit, would have had a bigger heart than a typical reptile, but because we know this is a reptile, we think it was much smaller. Reptiles don't have such a big, fast um, circulatory system, so it's probably potentially the size, only the size of something like a uh, slightly bigger than the basketball. Again, it's not massive. They're not as big as what you'd have in a mammal or even a dinosaur. So probably about that sort of size, but we don't know. There's no preservation for these things with any sort of soft tissue, but... Um, how did, how do you know that, you, that you're not, that everything's wrong, that everything isn't wrong? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't clap him! <laughs> Thanks for that question. Um, feels like I'm going through a PhD viva. Um, we don't know, and it's a really good question. We don't, as scientists, we have no idea. We could all be wrong. We could totally be wrong about this, but we don't think so. And we work on probability, and we work on the, the clues we've got. When we say clues, it's not like a murder mystery that you do on a, a puzzle. It's, we're looking at the actual uh, data we've got there. We look at the type of sediment found around the bones. We look at uh, the radioactivity in the fossils. We're pretty sure when we say stuff, usually, but we still get stuff wrong. I'll admit that. Argentinian farmer found the sheep. <laughs> Favourite question right there. Did Aurelio find his sheep? No. And a sin? No, a sin? No, don't we are. The sheep were going to be eaten anyway. Aurelio's now made lots of money because he's got. He, he's the wonderful bit in the film where his wife's gone. We used to farm sheep. Now we farm dinosaurs. <laughs> She wants to make it into the uh, South American version of Disneyland. Already up there. So she's, she's way ahead of the game with that one. They, yes, they, it suddenly turned into a, a wonderful thing for the, the farmers. And also Argentina. So if anyone's got family or friends from Argentina, this is all over the news still. If you're on Twitter, it's all over the news. On, on Twitter still, this big ti uh, titanosaur is, is big news, especially for the farmer. He didn't care about the sheep in the end. Where are we? Where do titanosauruses normally live? I mean, where do they... Not which country, like, what sort of habitat do they live in? Good question. So, first of all, uh, titanosaurs were found in loads of places. They were mainly found in South America, or what, what is now South America. There is uh, evidence they went right down to where, uh, as far as uh, uh, Antarctica, which everything's changed since then. But we think it was lots of very long, rolling, flat uh, terrain because they wouldn't have liked mountainous things, first of all. And we think it was quite, not tropical, but swampy, uh, the sort of environment where you get um, a lot of the plants you get now. But if you go to Argentina now, it's still really, really dry in the winters and, and, and wet in, in some of the parts of the year. So there would have been seasonal change. It wasn't tropical, tropical, but it would have been nicer than Cambridge. How big was the smallest dinosaur? How big was the smallest dinosaur? Well, some were tiny, generally, generally tiny. Some were you're talking about the size of rats, uh, or even smaller. Uh, again, some of the, the flying, the 
flying reptiles, the flying groups, the things, the pterosaurs were absolutely tiny little things, but some of the dinosaurs themselves were absolute dinky little things. I don't know their names, because that's not my area, but you're talking little, even at fully grown. Again, like animals we have now, they filled every niche, every habitat, every ecosystem or space in the environment you can imagine. They were the biggest things that walked around, they were also the smallest things that walked around, so they were, they were everywhere. How many teeth does a tyrannosaur have? How many teeth does our, does our big crazy predator have? Yeah. Um, because it was a shark-toothed dinosaur, we think they had teeth like a shark. So the moment they, were, they would fall out, there were others behind them that would then replace themselves. So estimates range massively, but you're talking at any one time probably about 50, 60 teeth that are that sort of size, like kitchen knives, basically. But, like I said, the moment they lost one, one would come up within, within a certain period of time. Like a great white. If a great white loses a tooth, it comes back within a couple of days, usually. It's crazy. What was the most common dinosaur? Depends where you were. Um, in the sea? Uh, I guess not in terms of dinosaurs, but things like these. Uh, ichthyosaurs were incredibly common in this area. So all on the southern coast, things that looked like dolphins slightly but were reptiles that had four big flippers, they, there were loads of those things. Uh, and the same we get nowadays, we would have had more herbivores and more prey animal-based dinosaurs than we would have had predatory dinosaurs. So there would, would have been more diplodocuses than there were T-Rexes and things like that, I guess. What is the biggest paras uh, a flying dinosaur? What's the biggest flying dinosaur? Don't know. I'm really sorry, I don't know. There are some real, I mean, someone will, I know that someone will know this better than me here, so I'm going to say I don't know. Uh, there used to be ideas that some of these things could be 100 foot across. They couldn't, definitely couldn't. The largest that we know were some of the pterosaurs that still would have had a wingspan across the, the thing of this stage. So they were still really big animals. In terms of the actual biggest, I really don't know. There were some, they're now doing research where they could actually walk on their elbows and they would flip their uh, wings out when they needed to and would jump off cliffs or hit uh, thermals and, and go, but how big? Ah, the gender of our dinosaurs. We don't know. So with some of these animals, uh, things like Triceratops and the, the classic ones, you've got all these head adornments. We think there was what we call sexual dimorphism, so differences in boys and girls between the two. With these things, we don't know. Um, even with things like giraffes nowadays, you get the head adornments. Elephants, you get the tusks. That's often you get the tusks, tusk differences. With these things, there's nothing obvious to show anything so far. So all the ones we had appear to be the same size. It can either be they were a group of males in a bachelor group, a maternal group. They could have been exactly the same, uh, adults, uh, males and females. We don't know. We've got no idea. Um, again, that's something they're going to try and look at, but there's nothing obvious. That's one of the things we would... Again, everyone's going, I wonder what they were. It'd be great if we suddenly knew that they had bachelor groups or mixed herds. Don't know. Not yet, anyway. But we have time for maybe one last question. Ben, do you want to pick who this question's going to come from? Oh, no. No. <laughs> I want this lot to like me. No. <laughs> right, okay. Okay, only put up your hand if you haven't asked a question already. And if you really, really want to ask a question, like wave it really, really flay your arms about. Anyone up there? Anyone? Am I missing people? Oh, it looks like you're desperate. Okay, I'm going to ask, give it to you then. What would a titanosaur's poop look like? It's what you get. I knew he'd be a bad one. <laughs> there are, that's a wonderful question. Of course we want to know what their poos look like. Um, there are people who do study fossilised poo. Um, and they're called coprolites. Um, so there's a whole range of study, and there are different ones. In the same way that a, a dog poo looks different to a cow poo, um, the same sort of thing with dinosaurs. So some were uh, much more solid and, and rigid and structured, like some of the predatory dinosaurs, and some of the big sauropods uh, were often like big cowpats. Um, and some also looked like, from the sauropods, looked like um, big elephant poos as well, we think, because there's lots of fibre and material in there. You can even study dinosaur wee. Weird. 
there are some tracks, uh, different parts of the world, where dinosaurs have walked, big sauropods especially, and you get their big four prints that they're walking, and you get a little zigzag trail in the middle. <laughs> Genuinely. And they've looked at the depth of the uh, imprint to see how much they weed and how heavy it was and with the force. There's a whole area of research on dinosaur weed. You can study anything, kids. They'll pay you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Ben for the wonderful, wonderful clap talk. Thank you.